This is Stereoactive Presents. I'm your host, Jeremiah McVeigh, and in this episode, I'm joined once again by Charles Henshaw to discuss the second film written and directed by Emerald Fennell. Saltburn stars Barry Keoghan, Jacob Alordi, Rosamund Pike, Richard E. Grant, Allison Oliver, and Archie Medeque, and is distributed by Amazon MGM Studios and available on Prime. In just a moment, you'll hear my review of the film, followed by my discussion with Chuck. Since we're recording this a couple of months after the film's release, and even longer since it first began playing at festivals and reviews of it started coming out, it may be worth mentioning that there seem to be a lot of critics who do not like Saltburn. In fact, I pretty much avoided watching the film until now because so many critics I follow had so little good to say about it. So perhaps my low expectations played a part in this, but I found it mostly pretty compelling to watch. I mean, it's pure pop melodrama trash playing at being deep and sophisticated, and I think another couple of passes on the screenplay may have leveled it up from that to either the true satire or social commentary it strives to be, something more along the lines of the talented Mr. Ripley, the rules of the game, Gosford Park, A Place in the Sun, or something more recent like Parasite. But the talent and craft brought to the film from other quarters certainly elevated into something more than it would be otherwise. Barry Keoghan not only swings for the fences as the class interloper at the heart of the film, but he also more than proves his ability to lead a high-profile movie with a top-notch cast. And whether some of his choices pull you in or make you cringe, it's impossible to deny his commitment to his character and the themes of the film. For his part, between this and Sofia Coppola's Priscilla, Jacob Alordi is fast becoming an actor whose presence in a project is going to make me more interested in checking it out. That said, I do wish he had more to do at times in Saltburn, especially after his character Felix first shows Keoghan's Oliver around the estate and introduces him to the other residents, then seems to melt into the background or wholly disappear for quite some time. Richard E. Grant and Rosamund Pike, as Felix's staggeringly British parents, are both bright spots when the film allows them space to shine, and Archie Mattaquay, as Felix's cousin Farley, certainly does all he can to make his character as unlikable as the script requires. Add to all that the striking visuals delivered by the cinematography and production design, and I'm honestly now more excited to see director Emerald Fennell's next film, than I was after I had mixed feelings about her last one, Promising Young Woman. From this point on, we may discuss elements of the plot that some would consider spoilers, so if you don't want to know anything about the movie at this time, you may want to come back and listen to this later. So Chuck, uh, what were your thoughts on this movie? I uh, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know at anything about it, um, and I hadn't heard reviews of it. But I I just remember a friend texting me and being like, "Have you? I watched this trailer for Saltburn. It looks so stupid, <laughs> uh, or something like that." And I was like, "All right, I guess Saltburn's stupid. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know what it was." Um, 
And I didn't know Emerald Fennell was the filmmaker. I would, I think I might've seen it sooner. Uh, cause I really do enjoy her style. Yeah. Um, from, just based on Promising Young Woman, you mean? Based on Promising Young Woman, and also based on the work she did on Killing Eve. Oh, did, right. Like, I did see that a she... A lot of yeah. second season writing. Okay. Between those two projects, she's always trying to kind of mix the pop, as you sort of pointed out, you know, the sort of pop sensibility and interest in flash and mm -hmm. you know aesthetic with like sort of larger themes whatever they might be i felt like this was a little bit indulgent at times <laughs> certainly <laughs> uh in a in a way where it was like okay she believes that what she's creating means something but i don't know that it, it actually does or just because it means it to her, it doesn't really mean that to me. But I liked how bold it was. And when I read more about it, which I don't know if that's a strength or a detriment to a movie. If, you know, the more you read about it, the more you kind of understand it. Like, should you... Should you understand a film on its own? Yeah. Or, you know, do is it okay if it requires a little bit of you know, I mean, I think some, it depends. I think if yeah. I think if if you read something about it and you can be like, oh, I see that, you know, right. rather than be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. like if if it's so obscure um or oblique or whatever, right, then I understand like that inclination to be like, shouldn't this have been in the text for me to, yeah. as I was watching it or something but yeah i don't know like there, some of my favorite movies are those type of like 2001 a space odyssey the first time i watched that movie i was like what the fuck is this yeah, i have yeah, to watch yeah. it again and figure it out and read about it and like those are movies sometimes that are like the the best like to yeah. dig in and be like what was going on with this right so, i'm right. not saying this is that movie but no no i was thinking about 2001 as well and maybe a more um comparable Kubrick would be like eyes wide shut or something mm -hmm. um, where you just like, True. don't really know what's happening. <laughs> and yeah, it, it sort of helps to read up on it or, or sort of get other people's takes on it to right. sort of form your own understanding. Um, but I think it's a, I think the thing with the, with Saltburn is it's a blend where I watched an interview with her and I read some stuff that she had said, and there are some things where I do feel like I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if you think that, but then there's other things like when she says that she considers it like a vampire movie, mm. um, or she references like hammer horror and that kind of thing that I'm like, okay, I can dig that. And yeah. I like that idea of bringing in the, cultural you know um character study into this realm of of horror and hammer horror and uh i forget what what you know you sort of called it trashy and i think yeah. that's the or like you know use the term trashy as a like pop as a trash yeah yeah drama i think is what i said right right and um you know that's what hammer is mm -hmm. uh you know that's what those sort of 
old school horror movies are. Um, yeah. and, and especially a lot of vampire movies are very much that way too. So I, I was into that, mm-hmm. that concept. Well, as we're recording this, the last thing that you and I talked about was the movie Maestro for this right. podcast. And in a lot of ways, I think there's some similarities where maybe you could say the weak point of this movie is also the screenplay the same way we said that for Maestro. Like, I think the visuals are great. Like, it's so good. It's so nice to look at a movie where you can tell so much care and thought went into every piece of the frame. Right. Um, and just the choice about what that frame is of like the four, three aspect ratio and all that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it just really seems like a thought out movie in that way. The, but I will say like, this does tell, I think this, this, this screenplay does the job that it set out to do. Even mm. if like, I don't think kind of like what you were saying that it is as deep as maybe it thinks it is. Um, right, right. But, but with Maestro, I don't think that movie does what that screenplay was trying to do, or I don't think that screenplay did what it was trying to do. You know, like there, there, right, are, yeah. there are chunks missing from that story seemingly. Whereas this yeah. has a story, it tells it, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then it's just sort of like, do you like the story or not? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. But, and but, it takes yeah. these twists and uh, that, you know, certainly Maestro doesn't into it. It's kind of genre defying to a certain extent because it starts off as sort of one type of movie and then becomes something else. Right. I wanted to ask about the class dynamics, which are obviously central mm-hmm. to, to this. Like they're a little questionable, right? Because it's and maybe questionable isn't the right word. Maybe there's a better word for that. But it's kind of weird that it's about an upper middle class kid as a predator versus mm-hmm. upper class twits as victims. You know, it's sort of like, wait, is she saying that upper middle class people are that? Or is she saying that they're predators and that they're right? Or I guess it's more about like this, a specific type of a social climber, but I think it is. I think it gets muddy with the social commentary because yeah. he is lying. Spoiler. Right. Uh, but sure. <laughs> you know, like, if he really was the person he claimed to be, then, you know, this really down and out, you know, kid with these like horrendous parents and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of rags to rich, whatever. And I guess he probably still is on scholarship or whatever at the college. But, you know, if he truly had this hellacious kind of upbringing that it, that is associated with a lower economic uh, experience, not across the board but in in many instances it might have made more sense mm-hmm. but once you sort of find out that he's actually l- escaping nothing yeah you know like not r- he has a perfectly fine existence and family and there's like no real explanation for why he is you know kind of rebelling against it and certainly not from a perspective of like he is wanting yeah financially yeah um and i think it's that it's lack weird. of explanation that makes it seem as if it's a metaphor for like upper middle mm-hmm. class people overall in a way or a type of middle mm-hmm. class. so that's where i get a little like squirmy about it i'm like what is what is the message of this movie is is right. the message that 
there is a an integrity to right. being a lower income, lower class person. There is a certain other type of ridiculous old school integrity to be an aristocratic person, maybe, I guess. But if you're in the middle, you're an asshole. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, that's where I'm sort of like, I, you're left to kind of think that he's a stand in for somebody. But like, what is she saying about that? It seems like very arch and right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm over. Yeah, I don't know. Too, no, I don't think. Well, I I think the film is obviously making comments about class and in a very maybe not subtle, but like minuscule way, race. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, definitely. Definitely race. Yeah. Uh, but it's like not in your face and it's not really clear what it is. It's sort of it's like, OK, this is. Something's being said. There's kind of a statement being made. But I, I think I know what it is, but I, it's not 100% clear. And then the film goes into these acrobatics of, of plot of like, mm -hmm. oh, he's actually lying. And then he's a murderer and, you know, all this stuff that sort of almost takes away from whatever the point was. Yeah. You know, to begin with. Yeah, I really wish they hadn't gone down that path of he he actually murdered everyone, maybe. I, I think it would have been a more interesting movie if those had just been occurrences around him. But like, I, it's right. also not like I didn't at least suspect that he'd killed Felix. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. But then as they like moved on and like he seemed genuinely um, shook by... Mm -hmm. his death i was like maybe he didn't kill him maybe he's actually like mourning him and in, in grief right and, and and i think he was but like he also did kill him you know uh right. it's a very complicated thing but yeah yeah i don't know so i i want to go to another part though like i you mm -hmm. said that you didn't really know anything going into this unfortunately i had the two like what the fuck scenes kind of like Okay. Uh, lightly spoiled for me like mm -hmm. where i kind of knew what was going to happen in them because I, I i'd heard enough that i could guess because they were talking sure. about it, them as being salacious so um right. i'm talking about the tub scene and right. i will say i had heard there is a bathtub scene and so i didn't know what that meant yeah, okay. i just heard that there was one. yeah it, so um, there's a tub scene and the grave scene are the two i'm right. talking about sure, sure and the yeah. the grave scene got spoiled for me basically by uh Barry Keoghan because I watched one of his he did like one of those timelines of your careers or most iconic characters mm. I, I forget which um and it's <laughs> funny that he would do that I know some of them they're like these guys haven't had long careers yet like I know good I know. actor and had some yeah. good parts but like it, it, it's funny when they do this and theirs is like 12 minutes long and then you have some other actor and it's like a, it's literally a half hour <laughs> and right right, right. anyway he kind of uh talked about and it, it was interesting to know that like i guess he made that decision to do that on the yeah. grave um that's what i heard yeah so, so he basically like was thinking about it and came in that day and asked uh fennel like can we have a close set i feel like i want to try something here and mm. then he made love to the ground <laughs> right right <laughs> Which to me, when I, I thought that was 
in, that was like an example of the creative indulgence. Yeah. Um, or pretentiousness. Would, would that yeah, be another word yeah. for it? Yeah. 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 Totally. Just like, who gives a sh- Like, this is not communicating like, oh, you're so bold. Yeah. <laughs> to like get naked and have sex with the grave. Like, okay, whatever. Like, it's not, I don't know. Maybe it's too many weird movies at festivals that it's like not interesting anymore but i guess i have like a little more patience for it knowing that it was his idea rather Mm -hmm. than that's true emerald finales yeah that's true it yeah not that she didn't make the decision to include it in the film but still right you know and it's a long take and it goes on and uh, yeah so you're not wrong in that you know the first instinct is to kind of put that on her, but then to yeah hear that it was sort of his ideas a different changes it up a little bit. Um, yeah. And I guess the, the tub scene made more sense. I didn't, you know? Yeah. I thought it worked in the movie. I mean, it was yeah. a little, you know, cringy to watch, but like it's gross in the way that I'm like, a movie <laughs> should be able to go there if, if it earns it. And I right. thought that that made sense in that moment of the movie. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like offensive or anything. Yeah, I'm sure it is uh, to some people, but <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah, you know, exactly. They shouldn't be watching this movie. Exactly. They're that easily offended. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, what I was gonna say before, and I was reminded, is my biggest beef. I think with the movie is it feels longer than it is. At least it did for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always reminded of this thing that um. Tom Cruise, of all people, said, uh, where he's like, it's not how long it is. It's how long it feels. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he probably didn't invent that, but that's where I heard it. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's so true. Uh, And I feel like, yes, this movie is only, you know, it's only like two hours and 11 minutes. It's not a, a particularly long movie, but I just happened to pause it at one point and i was like jesus there's 40 minutes left in this thing? i know uh, <laughs> yeah and i was yeah when we watched it we got two-thirds through it and paused mm-hmm. it because it was getting late and we were like we need yeah. to go to bed because we have a child and have to get up at a certain hour right, in the morning right. and we we're like oh my god there's still like 50 minutes left or something yeah yeah it, not 50 but it, it seemed like a lot <laughs> right well you think it's kind of gonna wrap up and then and in a weird way, it actually speeds up. Like it yeah. get, once he kill, once they get past the death of Felix and there's this sort of sense that he's on us on this mission, mm-hmm. it almost like clips along of him taking care of the rest of the family. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it seems like checking boxes rather than telling right. stories. Yeah. 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 It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, it's not how, long it is it's how long it feels like i mean Mm -hmm. to me maybe another way of like inverting that is like how long does it feel like this movie should have been (laughs) and to me like i think if this movie had been like an hour 45 Mm -hmm. i think that would have been like hour 45 hour 50 like i think if they'd cut out that much it would have like tightened it up and made it like lost some of that stuff that felt a little like what are we doing here yeah Um, yeah, I think that if it didn't try as hard to be like smart f- art yeah. stuff, like lean into the hammer thing, lean into the horror thing, let it be trashy, let it be simple. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try and sort of over 
complicate it. Um, that would be my sort of, yeah, <laughs> advice to my unwanted advice uh, <laughs> to the Academy Award winning screenwriter. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I'll just go back to saying that uh, I did think it looked great. You know, yeah, it did look great. It looked great. The acting's really good. Uh, I really like the score and the music choices in general. I don't really, I gotta say, I don't remember the score. I just, I remember the needle drops. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty like interwoven. Yeah. You know? uh, because there, yeah, there are quite a few needle drops. Yeah. Lots of like, remember 2006? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that was the other thing that she, she spoke about quite a bit in the, in the interview that I saw of her was, was like, you know, this was a period piece because 2006 was so long ago and I didn't totally buy it. Uh, like in the sense that it mattered. Right. Um, that, you know, somehow the sort of setting of 2006 was really specific and necessary to the larger point. Like, yeah, I really think it mattered. I don't know. I mean, I always wonder with a movie like this, especially when it's about like British class stuff, mm -hmm. if that would be more meaningful if we were from there. Oh, I don't know. And had the same references and like culturally right. and, and historically right. um, there for us, you know, but I yeah. don't know. Maybe, I, maybe that's giving too much. Um, I just know that she, in, in that interview, she's like, he's wearing a live strong bracelet. Very I didn't significant, even that, but... significant to 2006. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that was like people wore that shit for years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, OK. But again, I think, you know, I, I would rather have. I do think I would rather have a filmmaker who is. Well, I don't know. She said this thing and it really made me think like, I don't know, Emerald, where she's like. She's like, you see the film. It, it was an anatomy of a scene thing. With, mm. with So she's like picking apart the scene. And she's like, you see the set dressing and you see the Diet Coke can. And she's like, you know, what's the point of making a movie if you don't care whether it's Diet Coke or Dr. Pepper or something like sort of suggesting that, you know, if you're going to make a movie, you should give a shit about all these little things. Um, I don't know if I mean that's certainly something we hold in high regard when filmmakers are that like nitpicky, especially when it works like a Kubrick or mm -hmm. I don't know, Ridley Scott or something. But um, I'm just like, who care? I, I, part of me was just like, maybe you're overthinking this whole thing too much. <laughs> and yeah, maybe I don't know. I I'll give her, give her that one though. Like, I feel like that is a director's job sometimes is to like sure. overthink it and, mm -hmm. you know, make it all make sense in your head. It doesn't really matter if that connects to the audience there was something in that detail that hopefully helped you tell your story. And I got the story, even if I didn't get the detail. You yeah, know? sure. That's maybe, maybe you wouldn't have been able to tell the story the same way if you hadn't been thinking about the fucking Coke can or whatever. Right, so, right. I don't know. I think it sort of speaks to there's an element of the movie where perhaps, as we've sort of spoken about, there are levels of kind of indulgence and perhaps pretentiousness that mm -hmm. maybe got in the way of the story. Sure. And um, when I hear her talk like that, it makes me think, oh, that's probably true. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Yeah.
Um, but yeah, like like I said, I I think I'd more interested in what she's going to do next than I was before. Oh, yeah. So there mm-hmm. is that. Um, yeah, any, for sure. Any final thoughts? No, I mean, I really, I really do like her, and I like her vibe. I like that she's dark. I like that she goes dark. Um, and both a promising young woman and this um, took me places I was not expecting to go, mm-hmm. which I think is also a really strong um, quality to have as a writer, because most things you kind of see where they're headed. Right. And I also think it's it's the sort of odd, weird art movie of its time. You know, it may, it does make me think of, you know, kind of bold cinema, <laughs> you know, from the 70s or something like that. Yeah. So uh, I think um, people should definitely check it out. And yeah, I'm also interested to see what she what she's doing next. OK, well, thank mm-hmm. you very much, Chuck. No problem. Thank you for listening to Stereoactive Presents, and thank you to our guest, Charles Henshaw. The music in this podcast is composed by Hansdale Sue. My name is Jeremiah Lee McVeigh. If you like what you hear in the show, please rate and review it in Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that allows that. Doing so helps us to expand our audience, and it's much appreciated. And please follow us wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. Every little bit helps, and like I said, it is truly appreciated. You can also get in touch with us at stereoactivemedia at gmail.com, and you can find more information about this show and everything else that Stereoactive Media is involved with at stereoactivemedia.com. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.